everyone. This is Chris Lim with the Theotech Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about med school, microbiology, and COVID-19. I'm really happy to introduce my guest, Tiffany Bourbon. She's an MD-PhD student who specialized in microbiology. And it just so happens that she's my sister. And today is a big day because it's match day. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Can you tell us about why match day is a big deal, Tiff? Yeah, match day is a huge deal. Um, The fourth year medical students who are graduating have been preparing for this basically since the start of med school. But um, starting in September, we were submitting our applications, waiting for interview offers, and then spent several months um, traveling around the country to um, interview at different residency programs. And we submitted our rank lists and then an algorithm um, in March decides where we end up going for residency. And so it's a really great time of celebration and, um, you know, everybody finds out where they're going and uh, it's just a really special day. Yeah. And of course, we're happy because you uh, matched here, right? Yeah, I get to go home. (laughs) Really excited. Uh, So how have med school students been impacted by COVID-19? Yeah, so this year, uh, match day celebrations all over the country had to go virtual. So um, usually uh, med schools will have like a big celebration. People will bring their families and then um, people will get, you know, their names announced and they'll get their envelopes and they'll get to announce to everyone where they end up. Um, but this year, because of these concerns um, due to COVID-19 transmission, they decided to just move everything online. Um, so this year was a little different. Uh, I was really happy that I got to video with um, all of you guys, with family and some friends and um, just have a little private celebration and uh yeah i mean instead of an envelope i opened an email um but it was still it was still good it was still sweet yeah and i also heard that that graduation's canceled is that right yeah um our graduation they announced it earlier this week um that they're going to also cancel commencement um and you know it's it's kind of just the reality right now and um Med students are trying to find workarounds. Um, so I already have my gown, so I might just ask my research mentor um, to to hood me and um, do that little piece and just get a video taping of that um, to bring home with me. Um, mm-hmm. But other students are really, really sad uh, that they won't get to have that, you know, the honor of getting to accept their diploma and swear the physician's oath and um yeah get hooded so um it's it's disappointing but on the other hand you know as people who are entering the healthcare field we understand why and so um we're taking it as it comes yeah maybe you can help uh, talk about that like why are we doing what we're doing why is it not an overreaction for whole states to be going under lockdown like all of california went under lockdown illinois went under lockdown I heard even all of Malaysia went under lockdown. Like, why is that the right thing to do right now? Yeah, and I think at least right now for the U.S., it's the right decision because we are kind of short on test kits, so we don't actually know um, 
who has uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, and so the best way to prevent um, there being this overwhelming number of people needing to be in the hospital on oxygen or on ventilators is to limit um, the spread. And in order to limit the spread, we have to unfortunately um, do what's called social distancing. Um, there have been talks of trying to change the terminology a little bit to make it um, a little bit, like to have better, more positive connotations and call it a responsible radius. And so as a person who is not a healthcare worker, the most helpful thing you can do is to buy doctors time. Um, and and to, the best way to do that is to not spread the virus. And so, um, so that's, I think that's why people are pushing these lockdowns and um, they just really want to get this under control. Um, and I'm sure that you've seen the different graphs about flattening the curve and that sort of thing. Um, and really the, the issue is not that this virus is um, super, super um, deadly in a, in a certain way, although the numbers are, um, on, you know, they're, they're pretty high. Um, but it, the trouble is that our healthcare system, if everybody gets sick at the same time, um, our healthcare system would not be able to support all these people. Um, so the, the goal of social distancing and keeping a responsible radius is um, to give doctors that chance um, to take care of patients, get them well, get them out the door and back home, and then um, have room for the next patients who need that bed. Mm -hmm. It kind of conceptually, uh, I'm a technologist and I'm not a medical professional, but it reminds me of uh, Amazon back in the day before there was Amazon Web Services. Uh, every Christmas, that would be their peak when all their systems would be overwhelmed. And so they're always mm -hmm. trying to build capacity for peak. And right now with this COVID-19, it's like our healthcare system, we just don't want it to have to reach peak and fall over because when it falls over, then everything can get really exacerbated. But it'd be really cool if coming out of this, we had more of an elastic healthcare system where it could kind of rapidly expand or decrease according to whatever's needed. Um, and we can keep just kind of increasing its peak capacity without having to operate at that level all the time. I might be talking too high level, but it's just interesting to see the parallels between this desire to keep everything within the capacity of our healthcare system while we can. Yeah, no, that's a great analogy. And actually, the I mean, doctors and nurses and PAs, like they've all been trying to do this. Um, a lot of hospitals have moved many medical visits um, online. So um, you can get like a virtual clinic visit, which is what they're recommending people do if they're not ill enough to go to the emergency room, um, but they are concerned about their symptoms. They can just get a virtual online visit, find out if they qualify for the criteria for getting tested. Um, for COVID-19 and kind of go from there. And I think that that's been one way that has really helped doctors who are like physically at the hospital um, just kind of reduce the, the patient burden. Yeah, it sounds like something that even after this plague, um, perhaps our healthcare system will shift that way where there's majority virtual visits and things like that. Yeah, who knows? I mean, um, I'm, we're not really sure how long this is going to last. Um, but, you know, people, researchers are working really hard on um, testing different medications that have already been FDA approved um, to see if they have um, efficacy against this virus. And um, they're also working on other possible treatments. And 
uh, vaccines. So um, depending on how long this lasts, like it could shift the way that we do medicine in the U.S. Mm-hmm. What, can you explain the testing process? What actually happens with the test? Yeah, so the, the test, it, it kind of depends on what the test kit requires, but I think generally it's a swab in the nose and then in the back of the throat. Um, and what they do is they send that to a lab that is able to run something called a polymerase chain reaction or PCR. Um, and that's just basically looking at the genetic code and to see if the sequences match um, certain sequences from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, and that's how you get positivity. So the PCR reaction will really like amplify that DNA to a point that you can detect it um, using you know, either a machine or however they do it. Um, different labs do things differently, um, but generally it's like it gives you a readout on whether or not um, that particular um, sample had the genetic code uh, that matches the virus. Mm-hmm. And so when people say there's a shortage of test kits, it's not the actual kit part that's short. It's actually the labs that can't handle the capacity to test all of that. Is that what's going on? So I think it's actually a shortage in reagents. Um, apparently, the test kit for um, COVID-19 just happened to have this one reagent that was in really short supply in the U.S. And so that that's one of the issues. And then the other, I think, the other issue was that we didn't really start production of these tests soon enough. And by the time we started, we were already falling behind. Hmm. But is that is that reagent? Um, I don't know what a reagent is. Is that the PCR that you were talking about earlier? Yeah, it, basically, like in order to do a PCR, you, there are different components, right? You, it's not just the genetic code itself. Like, there's also uh-huh. you need primers, you need um, enzymes, like, and different buffers and that sort of thing. And I, I'm not sure exactly what reagent it was that was short, but something that was really important to um, this reaction um, was in short supply. Mm-hmm. I see. So that's what we talk. That's what we mean when we say that there's a shortage in the states. Is that reagent something that um, eventually is going to be in abundant supply? Well, I think that several different companies are now working on it, and they've come up with different test kits. And um, so I, I think that it's going to be fine. Uh, we just we just need time, <laughs> like to get these out and distributed. Um, I think uh-huh. you know, several. I'm not sure how well validated some of these companies' test kits are, but companies are coming out with like home test kits and stuff like that. So I mean, we'll kind of see where things go from there. I see. Because is it the case that once we have an abundance of test kits, then everybody could basically be tested and then the social distancing might change because it could be a true quarantine of people who actually have it? Yeah, I mean, the strategy could change completely. I mean, if we look at what Taiwan has done and um, Singapore, I think the best examples are probably Singapore and South Korea. They did more of that quarantine approach. So they they tested very broadly and then really quarantined the people that tested positive. And that way, Mm -hmm. I mean, we have an aunt who lives in Singapore and she's still been able to go out and eat and go to the restaurants and stuff like that. Um, So that Mm -hmm. could help a lot with sort of life returning to a little bit more of a normal pace. Yeah. So the lockdown really is a, is a result of the fact that we just don't know who has it. So we end up having to make everybody stay home. Yeah. I mean, it, it that definitely contributes. Mm-hmm.
it just I'm, I have to admit I'm pretty concerned about the economic impact even more than the health impact um, because of all the people who have been laid off losing jobs no yeah all these events are canceled all the restaurants closed it's a pretty disruptive uh, experience uh, and I've been shocked yeah. even, like I know kids some some kids like school is still planning on coming back uh, maybe in May but like some schools are like well it just might be canceled like you're just done you just graduate automatically. Yeah, I mean, there have been talks about that um, at many medical schools. Our school, maybe because we're in a smaller town, hasn't really decided um, to do that. They've decided to move classes virtual um, in the hopes of, you know, continuing people's education and trying to keep things as, um, I don't know, keep things running as much as possible. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting thing that I mean, I'm not an economist, but I can just imagine, you know, I heard that people are getting laid off um, in the restaurant industry because there's just not enough business to keep things afloat. And I don't know what's going to happen economically because of these um, lockdowns or, um, you know, we we felt it. um, You know, my husband lives overseas, actually, and he was going to come for my match day. And he wasn't able to because of travel restrictions. So, um, so yeah, we're all feeling these effects, and um, we'll just have to see how things go. Mm-hmm. And I also did hear that uh, people who are working in the medical field right now are also facing that hard choice of like, do they go home to their families or not? Because they may have been exposed to their work. Yep, yep. A lot of doctors, I think, um, I've heard that they are setting up sort of stay in place types of shelters so that these doctors have a place to sleep and get food and that sort of thing, but don't have to um, risk transmitting the virus to their families. Mm -hmm. What are the ways that those of us who are not uh, healthcare workers can still be helpful besides just staying at home? Yeah, there's like actually a lot that um, you guys can do. probably the biggest thing is to just be praying for us. uh, There's a lot of, you know, a lot of us are like doctors. I'm part of this Facebook group where a lot of doctors have been sharing what they're learning and what they're seeing, what they've learned from um, reports from, you know, China, like, and other countries that have been dealing with this outbreak for longer. Um, But, you know, all of this stuff is new. We're discovering it as we go. And, we're all doing the best we can. And so, um, so I think, you know, just encouraging the people that, um, you know, who are healthcare workers and just thanking them for doing their jobs and, you know, putting their own lives at risk by taking care of others. Um, and beyond that, like taking care of one another, um, a lot of these online grocery store services are overwhelmed. Like they, just don't have the capacity to deliver groceries. And so, you know, your elderly neighbor who lives alone or um, elderly couple that doesn't really have family nearby, like they probably need somebody to come and help them um, to go pick up groceries and just drop it off on their front step. Um, Obviously not wanting to put them at risk of exposure to the virus, but Mm -hmm. um, that is like a huge help that you can do. Or, you know, even if you have friends who are sick, and are self-quarantining for that reason, um, they need groceries too. So um, I think just helping out your neighbor, asking what their needs are, calling up. So many nursing homes um, are no longer allowing visitors, and that is 
really hard for the elderly um, to not have social contact with other people. So um, just calling them up and video chatting or writing them letters, those are all really helpful. There have been some talk uh, and and some um, calls for help of personal protective equipment. Um, A lot of people who um, work in like manufacturing or like painting and stuff like that have some of these masks that are running in short supply. They're called N95 masks. And, you know, if you have like a stash of those or something, I, I know that there are hospitals and clinics that are asking people if they are willing to donate them. Um, so maybe finding out if there are that if there is that sort of need at your local hospital, um, I'm sure that they would appreciate the offer for help. Um, the other thing is, you know, these doctors, especially the ones who are deciding to like stay at the hospital and just not expose their families, they may need help with basic errands or childcare. So just reaching out to them and seeing what they need. Um, sending them coffee on Venmo. I hear that that's something that's happening. Um, just little nice gestures to help boost morale. Um, and then the other need that I've heard at hospitals is that a lot of people who were donating blood are no longer doing that. And so if you are healthy and not at risk um, and able to travel to the hospital um, and, you know, able to donate blood, you know, obviously you have to meet the criteria for that. I think that that is another way that you could really be helping tangibly mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, there are still other patients in the hospital. I don't think most COVID-19 patients need blood, but there are still other patients who might need blood um, if they're going through surgeries or something like that. So um, we got to keep these different things in supply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A friend of mine launched a website, I think church bleeds love to try, try to rally churches around the blood donation aspect. Um, just to raise awareness. And also, I think that it, he said something where if there's enough people who are willing to do it, then they could send one of the blood drive um, buses or something to a place to be able to. Oh, that. yeah. So. Yeah, that would be great. Church yeah, I know one of your friends, Church Meets Blood, you said. Our church ble- Bleeds Love. Yeah. Oh, Bleeds Love. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so I know that one of the other things that one of your friends um shared was like a little postcard that you could print out and write down your contact info to give to your neighbors Mm -hmm. um, so that they have a way of like reaching out to you if they do have a need. Yeah. So is that safe to like mail is still safe? Like going to your neighbors and leaving something on their doorstep is still safe. Like these are all not, they're not a social distancing issue. Yeah. I mean, so the virus does, it does live on surfaces for a few days. I think that the most recent study that came out said something about 72 hours on plastic and 48 hours on um, steel, stainless steel. So it, it is able to live on surfaces, but if you use good hand hygiene and you're not actually like in contact with the person, putting a something in the mailbox is probably fine. And this virus does, you know, you, you are able to, um, remove it with regular disinfectant. You don't have to use anything special. So, um, you know, if you want to wipe down the mailbox or something after you use it, um, Mm -hmm. that should be safe. That's great. And Tiff, are there any stories that you've uh, seen from the healthcare side of just, you know, stories of God's grace at work that uh, is noticeable uh, besides what we all receive as common grace? Yeah. You know, I I think that um, I, I, so my school has really been trying to protect the medical students. 
And I really think that that is like generosity on the part of the healthcare workers and the healthcare leadership. Um, you know, they've they've asked us to not be in patient contact, and you know, they don't want us taking care of uh, COVID nineteen patients. Um, and I think that they really are trying to keep us safe. So just the sacrifices that um, all of the healthcare workers and you know, that I, when I say healthcare workers, I don't just mean like doctors and nurses and PAs or whatever, but um, even the, even like the custodial staff and the food service mm-hmm. staff, like all of these people are really making sacrifices to be there and to keep the hospital running. Um, so, so just seeing that and, um, you know, med students have been given the opportunity to volunteer to help with like triaging patients at the front entrance or triaging visitors at the front entrance, um, but they haven't really called on us to help. And I think that they're they're trying to keep us healthy um, because they know that, you know, we're the next generation of doctors. So, um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Um, but I've also, you know, seen just how people in the community have rallied around. I I just so appreciate um, my church. Uh, I go to a fairly large non-denominational church here in town and they, um, the elders were having this time of discernment about two weeks ago, um, deciding like, are we going to have services? Like we've only heard one case of community transmission in Johnson County, or actually I think at that point there hadn't even been one case. It was just um, people who had traveled from out of the country and they had come back and been COVID-19 positive. Mm. And so they were just like, should we, should we cancel services? You know, the public health uh, hasn't given any recommendations on that. And so I I actually reached out to them and uh, they sought the advice of two doctors and a a biomedical researcher and, um, you know, really prayed about it. And they decided to hold a virtual service last Sunday, mm. which I was so grateful for. Um, I, kn- I know that it's a tough decision because, you know, as, as the body of Christ, like we want to be physically there for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but in times like these, like just for a church to sacrifice that, that time in order to protect the most vulnerable people in our community and to give doctors um, and nurses and PAs that chance to effectively care for um, COVID-19 patients, that, that really meant a lot to me. And I, I could tell that it was a, a sacrifice for um, the church leadership to choose to do that, but I'm so grateful they did. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know that for our church, it was a difficult decision too, because we actually have a cafe. And so we also have cafe staff mm-hmm. who basically by some of our choices uh, would, might have to lose their jobs. And eventually the government itself uh, said that all of the cafes and stuff would have to be closed. And so it was a hard choice, but there's a lot of that discernment too. And I think um, it's just hard, but it's also like kind of discerning the future of how do you do church when you can't meet in person? Um, What does it look like to use all these virtual tools that we have so we can keep doing what God called us to do? And I think that it's been possible for a long time, but we just never had the forcing function of coronavirus to make us confront that and to actually like figure it out. So I've, I've noticed that too. Uh, and I'm honestly like, I know that a lot of, a lot of smaller churches um, are just kind of worried and may have a hard time because of the, of the lack of experience with technology, because the big like unique thing about a church was always the in-person community. 
So it's like a lot of things that are now just rising to the surface as we figure out what it looks like to navigate being the church in this new time. Yeah, I I've felt that too. And you know, my church, we have like a Facebook group for the church, and we even have like a women's Facebook group um, that's fairly active. Um, but trying to like figure out how do we even have prayer meetings and Bible studies and um, community groups, which are a big piece of what what our church loves to do is just to have these like small groups that meet and pray for one another and study the Bible together. Um, and so learning how to use like online resources and everything has been this like steep learning curve for everyone. And all the teachers who had to switch over to virtual classrooms have been trying to help everyone mm-hmm. else. So yeah, it's, but it's been, it's just been really encouraging to see like people trying to help each other out and trying to, continue to build into community even though it has to be online now um and yeah sharing one another's needs and burdens and what's on their heart and um yeah i feel like we are so lucky that we live that you know this would happen and we live in this time where we do have the technology to still connect even if we are supposed to be physically um apart yeah and i don't know if you heard but i was really amazed that in china the church in wuhan um, they already had a plan to be able to go virtual. I've mentioned this on the Theotech blog before because the government was going to shut them down, but the coronavirus made it so that they ended up using their plan anyway um, because of the quarantine order. And the outcome of that was really amazing because one of the things that happened was all the elderly who were formerly shut in felt more connected to the rest of the church than ever before since everybody was shut in. Uh, and so there's a lot of redemptive aspects of this. Um, all of their leaders are activated. It's not just a lead pastor preaching, but all the deacons are preaching too and sending video messages and posting it online. Uh, They're coordinating relief efforts and they're praying together way more regularly than before uh, because everybody can just hop on a Zoom call at home and pray at a certain time of day. So even though it's like really distressing that you can't meet together, uh, the virtual things actually bring new benefits that none of us anticipated before. Yeah, that's so true. Actually, I... You know, I have a friend who um, we hold a prayer meeting for because they're serving overseas. And um, I actually got to go to the prayer meeting because I go to a different campus um, than from where they hold that prayer meeting. But I have wanted to go. And so I actually got to hop onto the call this last week and um, meet the other prayer warriors who've, you know, really been praying for her. And that was just such a blessing uh, to get to hear what God has been sharing with them and uh, getting to hear about, you know, what God has been doing in the heart of this person who's serving abroad. And Mm -hmm. um, I just really, really appreciated being able to actually connect with these people who I probably would never have connected with otherwise. Yeah. It's almost like even if they could have the in-person prayer meeting, you wouldn't want to lose the virtual part because that lets you join them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So like with us at Theotech, we just launched a virtual church training. Uh, for pastors who are trying to figure out what it looks like to take their church virtual and what it looks like to be church in this new medium, because it may not be just a transplant of what we used to do. And uh, that's going to be available uh, on a link that will include in this podcast description. And then also you mentioned some of those ways that uh, we can be helping uh, and praying for people in healthcare and just doing our part. And we'll also include that in the description. Um, Is there anything else, Tiff, that you would like to say for people who are listening to this podcast? that, uh, you know, from your perspective as a medical person? I think I just want to say thank you um, to everyone who's 
made a lot of sacrifices. Like we know that we in healthcare make a lot of sacrifices, but we recognize that this is so hard for everyone. Um, it's really disrupted everyone's life. And I just want to say that you guys are making a difference, whether you realize it or not, um, by staying home. And um, yeah, and if you can find ways to care for others without risking, um, you know, transmitting the virus to them, then please do that. And I, I really, um, I've just been so encouraged by the teamwork and I guess the camaraderie I feel with um, everyone in this country um, wanting to to do the best we can to care for our sick um, friends and neighbors and families and um, just slow the spread of this virus so that our healthcare workers um, are able to do this. And so I, I just want to say thank you. Awesome. Well, I guess I'll close this episode then. Uh, just to do exactly what you, what you said, which is uh, to take a moment to pray. So let's go ahead and do that. Okay. Lord God, we thank you for um, being with us in this time. As you promised, you would never leave us or forsake us. And every person who is in Christ is um, safe. Uh, we are going to inherit your kingdom and new creation one day. And all these trials can't be compared to the weight of glory that you're going to reveal in us. And so we rejoice in the hope that we have in you. And we pray that uh, you would dispel any fear that we have, that your love would be poured out into our hearts, that we can have contentment instead of anxiety, uh, and that we would have courage, Lord, uh, and that you would activate your body uh, throughout the world so that all of the gifts you've given to us can be used to love others and to glorify you. We want to thank you for all the people working in healthcare, and uh, we pray that you would give them energy and strength and guard their health and that they could have the wisdom to be able to find a solution to cure a vaccine and other things for this virus, Lord. We pray for those in positions of power, our leaders, that they can use their authority righteously and wisely uh, for the good of our people on, all throughout the world, Lord. We pray for healing for those who are sick and ask that you might you would grant them health, that they would recover uh, and that they would be saved. And we pray, Lord, that through this global trial, people would come to put their hope in you and to see that for all the illusions that we have, that this world is orderly, that our plans are clear, that we know what's going to happen next. We don't, but you do you love us and you're calling us to you. And we pray that uh, this would end up resulting in such grace being poured out on many people, despite all the suffering and tragedy that we're going through right now, Lord. Um, strengthen us all and strengthen our faith. And uh, just make us uh, so fruitful, Lord, in our joy and our love for you and our ability to serve others. Pray that we can shine and glorify you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Theotech Podcast. I'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons, of which Tiffany is one. If you'd like to support us in creating these episodes, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash theotech. And with that, until next time. <laughs>